0: Hey guys, welcome back to On Air with Rebecca. I recently talked with Sean Bowles and the conversation was so good that we had to give you guys a part two. Check it out. So talk about the encounter where you saw the Trinity because I think this is really encouraging. Oh,
1: it's so good. It, like, I, This is again, it's probably symbolic or parabolic. It's a way that I can relate to God this way, but I was seeing it would be before time began. And the Trinity is sitting around a table, and it's above what I saw, the firmament. There was this in Genesis 1 where it says, he was above the firmament. Mm-hmm. And so it's above like this cloudy place. And there, and the Father has all these strings coming out of his heart, like millions of strings. It looked like thousands, but I knew it was everybody, so it would be billions. And there, and Jesus was grabbing hold of him, and they were planning each person intricately. Like It felt like thousands of years' time lapse. It felt so long for each person. And they are like designing their character and their strengths and their beauty. And I just thought of myself as a father when my wife was pregnant and how I was just like, I wonder what, like Harper the first one, mm-hmm. what's she gonna be like? I know she's strong, I can feel her strength, I could feel like she's gonna be a force to reckon with, which she is. Like I remember just seeing things about her art, artistic nature and her and her leadership gift that's on her life and she's already manifesting a lot of this at eight years old. Oh, wow. But I could sense stuff that God had put inside of her. And so in this encounter, it was like before time began, so I'm seeing the father of so many different people And it changed the way that I viewed people now because Jesus came to restore us to that original vision. It says that in the Bible that Jesus is the first restored to God's original intention of humanity. We see ourselves first in Him. And so what if we were restored to God's original operation system for us? And what if we were restored to his original plan? Not just for the destiny we would do for him, but for the sonship, daughtership that we'd have and just the fellowship with him. Because Adam and Eve, the first thing he did was give him a job, but he also gave them this incredible walking with him in the cool of the day, intimacy, connection to where if they didn't do the job and they just rolled in the grass that day, it'd be enough. So like, how do we we come to a place of knowing ourselves through God and what he dreamed of, the resources we would need for this lifetime, the destiny, the skills, the talents, the gifts, but also the identity. And it was so beautiful that it changed the way that I would even minister from that point on. Because I would look at somebody and I'd think, this isn't who you are. Like if yeah. it was somebody who's not saved, who's like operating in the opposite spirit, who you I, I can somehow see you, even though it's just a parabolic vision of my spirit. I could see you when Jesus was planning you in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I could speak into them as if they were that of full value to him because they are, but they weren't full value to me. So I'd have to like adopt his value system over each human. Like I think of Justin Trudeau right now, how much of the church is like, that man's a communist dictator. And yes, there's truth that he's a tyrant right now. He's using politics in a wrong way. And so I'm I'm naming somebody in our generation who's using politics in the wrong way. But then you think of like, what was your original design for him, God, and praying that, yeah. and believing for what God had. I mean, He has leadership on His life for real. Like that, God, that was a God-given destiny. But like, just like Justin Trudeau, who is somebody who would be, I'm timing this, but like, you know, would be somebody who a lot of people would be mad at right now. When you think of Paul, the apostle, like the early church didn't even trust him when he got saved because he had murdered them. Yeah, he had. He been a ter- It'd be like having an ISIS member come to your church and say, "I'm all good now. Let's let's go." And I have a call of God in my life. I saw Jesus and you're like, mm-hmm. you kill people. Like my, my people, you killed my people. Like it was really hard for people. And there's a lot of people who are about to get saved that the church thinks are the least likely. And I think how we handle some of the ones who are getting saved, like a Justin Bieber or a Chris Pratt or different people who are getting saved and how we, how we handle our hearts then because some of the greatest leaders 10 years from now might be people who are like, baby Christians are not even saved right now. And when we see them in their original form, how God designed them, then we can start to love them the right way and believe for their, I mean, it only takes a couple years really to mature a human being, you know, in the sense of like, as far as an adult who comes into mature Christianity, three three or four years and they can be walking in the fullness of their destiny. We've seen it over and over and over. So what would happen if somebody gets saved who is not in our expectation? And what what are we missing if they don't? And if we don't receive them, like what, yeah. what would the early church miss if we didn't have Paul?
0: Yeah, if who we, would we have written received the letters? Him. Exactly. No, I'm really glad that you brought him up as an example because I always think of Paul like who he was at the end of his life. Yeah. I forget about the person who so persecuted the church so zealously. Yeah. And it's such a good point. It's like we really don't know. And that's why I love there's so many things I love about that vision. But one thing like you were saying was that God had a good intent and very specific, special purpose for every single person. Yeah. And another thing that I really want to highlight on that is I think so many people are born into the world and they don't think they're special and they're, they feel rejected, they feel you know insecure and they don't experience love and they're looking for love and they're looking for that kind of extravagant love from their father. He is our yeah. father, you know? And so when you see that vision, the human mind can even comprehend a love like that for billions of people, for a a special purpose and destiny for every single one. And yet God is that personal and he loves us that much. And we're called when we come into relationship with him to believe and see his purpose for people. Now, of course, at the end of the day, everyone has a choice. Mm -hmm. And some people choose to give their lives to the Lord and live out their purpose and destiny and others don't. You know, but who are we to say who is and who isn't? Yeah. We don't know. And I really loved what you were saying earlier about the Jesus movement, because that was such a crazy time in history. You would think that all was lost, and that's what a lot of people were thinking. But God just, like you said, checkmate that whole situation and took a whole movement of young people, yeah. who basically realized a whole generation drugs, you know, sex, all this different stuff, that whole free love movement wasn't the answer, but they were open.
1: Yeah.
0: And a lot of times, it's the people who are at rock bottom. Those are the ones that are the most, I mean, I hit rock bottom, and then I surrendered my life to Christ. So those are actually sometimes the people the most primed because yeah. they aren't sitting on top of their religious, oh, I do this, this, and this right. And they've tried all these different sources and nothing's fulfilling them.
1: Yeah, and I think of those people like, what would it what Jesus people would mm-hmm. be without them? Mm-hmm. And the Keith Greens and that, you know, Lonnie Frisbees and these guys, kind of guys, I'm, I'm just waiting for who's gonna emerge now. And I think of, there was a young guy, we had a leaders coalition, like of young leaders that were emerging. And one of the guys brought his friend and said, hey, he's amazing, he's awesome. But he tells his testimony, is still kind of messy in the middle of it. And I was just like, ugh, like no. And that was just my human response. It's a terrible response, but it was my human response. And part of it's okay to discern. But I just, my first response was like, oh, I don't wanna to touch you, like you feel unsafe. Like, yeah. I didn't wanna invest at all. Like, I was like, whatever. And then, you know, like a year later, he's leading a meeting and he's so clean now, like a year later, now it has been years, but and he's leading a meeting and he preaches this message and it changed the foundation of who I was. Mm-hmm. Like it literally gave me options that weren't on the table before I listened to the message and I started to relate to God differently. And I was like, I had a moment in time because of him, because of the gift of God on him, the way he relates to God. And I would have never shared that moment that God chose him out of all people to be the one. And I, I haven't even valued him. I didn't even, I didn't have faith for him to become this person. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of us, like the church, we're so fatigued, we're, we're compassion fatigued, we're, we're um, pandemic fatigued, we're politically fatigued. So it's hard for us to imagine that God's gonna move in a beautiful way where we actually are a source of life and energy for the people around us because we don't have energy and we don't have life. So many Christians right now are are literally at the, the most poured out they've ever been. Mm. And God is about to fill us. And he's about to, I call it in the book, the great maturing. He's going to bring a great maturing out of the place of, of that looks like the most disconnected we've been. I mean, I don't know if you know the statistics in the church right now, but there's so much failure of pastors, so much. Uh, 50% of the church has stopped going to church right now. Yeah. And so we, we're already at 50% of Christians weren't going to church in the Western world. Now it's another 50% have left. So we're down, we're down so much. We're down to a quarter, you know. And so like all these statistics that are out there, but in the midst of it, God's not afraid. And in the midst of that, God's going to encounter people. That's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, because my encounter can be your encounter. But he's going to be encountering people with his love. And it's going to give them such a focus. Because when you're, you're the mom, so like you wake up at two in the morning for your kids one more time, and it could be five nights this week, you'll keep doing it Yeah. because of love. You'll just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. It's never even a question. Like you're not going to go, they're crying, I'm just going to let them suffer for the next five hours. It's never a question when there's love. When there's not love, it's just a burden of responsibility, and you might actually say no. But when there's love involved, it compels you to go past your human energy. And you're, and that's what God's going to do. Is he's going to compel us with his love. And we're going to see some things happen that are phenomenal, that in our generation, you know, a lot of Christians are afraid of AI, and they're afraid of metaverses, and they're afraid of cryptocurrencies, and they're afraid of all the change that's happening right now. And a lot of Christians are preaching, you know, that's part of the how the Antichrist is going to use this, you know, this new identification or this new cryptocurrency. And instead of looking at it that way, we, we could look at what, what's happening in advancements in science and... Artificial intelligence and technology, and go, what does God want to do with us before an enemy that you have to bow down to takes it over? God releases all good things. So, what does God want to do? What if there's, you know, 15 million people get saved because of an online metaverse before the enemy ever? you know, apprehends it for the one world order that a lot of people are preaching about. So I feel like a lot of us as Christians, when you have that conspiracy bent, it's because there's a lack of love. And there's a lot, and then when I say that, I don't want anyone to feel terrible or ashamed, but there's a lack of love and there's a lack of faith in who God can be in our generation. And so even getting yourself to the point where you are honest with God about that, God, here I am, there's a lack of love in my heart. There's a lack of faith in my spirit. What can you do in my generation? And letting him fill you with good ideas. Mm -hmm. Because when you let him fill you with good ideas, of what he is doing, who he is—he's still on the throne. Jesus's government is only increasing. My book talks about the Isaiah nine; the government on his shoulders is only increasing. When we believe that, and our spirit, we start to have a different result in life, and our our expectation sets direction for our circumstances. Yeah. So we have to have faith right now.
0: And I think there—I think it's such a balance where you, as a believer, have discernment. Yeah, because it's like I can see how a one world government is gonna be set up eventually one yeah. day. And I mean, the Bible talks about that kind of stuff, but you don't live your life in a way where you're gonna say, I'm gonna pack up, I'm gonna leave, I'm gonna live in fear, I'm gonna go buy, I'm not shading anyone, but I'm gonna go buy a piece of land and bunker down. Yeah. And I was telling my husband, I was like, look, I see these things going on in the world, but first of all, we really never know when yeah. the end is even gonna actually happen. We always need to be prepared. And when, when it says be prepared, it's be prepared spiritually, you know, have a relationship with totally. God, live, you know, yeah. it's it's not even be prepared physically. Um, relief supplies, physically. although we
1: should have the right amount of relief. But yeah. a lot of times people are like, I'm just gonna go hunker down and wait for it to happen.
0: But it's not, but you have such a good point. It's that we're supposed to, I told my husband, it's like, we are exactly where we're supposed to be. And we're called, this life is temporary. Yeah. God has us whether we live or we die. We don't need to be afraid of that. Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain. But I said, we need to be here ministering to people. Yeah and loving people, and I was like, and I'm like, you can do both. You can see the evil, and I, we have to. You have to, you know, as the prophetic, you have to be able to discern mm-hmm. an agenda, and there's so much deception, and you need to know the truth of God's word, but you can't allow that to shut you down, because mm. when you shut down, you're saying the devil's more powerful than God. And so at the end of the day, you have to say, I'm here to bring God's kingdom to earth, and I'm here to love, I'm here to minister, and, I'm not going to let, like you said, the devil take something that we could use yeah. for good.
1: Well, like the city of LA, I live in LA and one of my family members was saying, shouldn't we just move to Florida or, or Texas? Yeah. Can't we just move where it's easy, where the conservative values line up with our values? And I said, God has placed us in a hard place. Yeah. He's placed us in a place where revivals have happened over and over and over, but also hell has broken out over and over and over. Yeah. To stand... To believe for what God wants to do in a place that changes culture around the world, Yeah. you know, from this place of Hollywood and entertainment, all these things, to some of the poorest of the poor, we have like over sixty-six thousand homeless on the street. God has called us to stand in a place with some of the worst government officials, yeah, but we also have some incredible government officials, but they're not the ones we're known. But you know, He's called us to stand the stand the ground here because He sends us into in darkness. And that's, that's where light's seen, and yeah. I think that's the point of Christianity. Like a, a lot of modern Christianity, people are becoming separatists. Versus saying, I'm actually gonna engage your heart and culture because you can save it all. You can redeem it all. And if we don't believe he can redeem it, then we've already given it over to the enemy in the first place. We no longer have authority over what we don't love, what we don't think he can transform, what we don't think he has power over. We won't have power over, we won't have authority. And so for me, I'm like, there's so much going on in Hollywood right now behind the scenes of Christians that are like steering yeah. huge projects. There's so much going on right now in sports. There's so much going on, and so we hear one sensational person who gets saved, but like a Kanye West who I love, and Kanye's a real Christian, but he's bipolar too, and he's going back and forth, and different decisions and things that are going on. So some people go, see, that's what Christians in Hollywood are like. No, uh, Kanye is a, a bipolar Christian in Hollywood who's going through a big struggle. He's one of the most famous, wealthy people in the world. Let's not look at Kanye as an example. Let's look at some of the local people who are making great films and television, people who are actors, like Supergirl, who's a Christian actress on Supergirl, like people who are like going for it, but they may not be the most famous controversial and they may not have drama on their lives. So you don't see them as much, but let's look for what God's doing. When you do that, you start to realize God is apprehending whole industries. It's amazing, but there's always evil in the midst of it. And we look at the evil because it's easier to see and our neurologically, we respond more to evil than good. So we have to train ourselves and fix ourselves on things above, which are good things.
0: Yeah. I think it's important that you even speak to that there are things going on behind the scenes because I think people can just write something off completely. And I am completely, I love California, even with everything (laughs) that's happened. My husband is from there. My in-laws still live there. And you know, I've talked to, uh, shout out to Miles, you know. But he's like, you know, there's still a group of us that are believing that California can change and I'm believing for that too. Yeah. Um, of course, we don't know what the future, I don't know, it's so funny. I, I think I talked to Jonathan Cahn about this on here. I was like, look, I honestly don't know what the future holds, but I know revival's gonna happen. Yes. Um, And we aren't supposed to lose heart and we aren't supposed to give up and God can do anything. Yeah. And I think we should be encouraged by that. I don't think we should be afraid. And I just love hearing that. But you know what, I think a key aspect is we can't judge, honestly, people's situations because we just don't know. Yeah. You know, we can just, I think there's a difference between discerning something, but judging. I've just something that God's really been teaching me is, I just can't, I'm not Jesus. I can't sit in a seat of judgment and pronounce yeah. over people. And that's just something I've learned that it's not good. It can get you caught in, putting that judgment on yourself. And so I've just learned like, I'm not, I I just don't know. And I've seen so much personal breakthrough in my own life. (laughs) So much that God has healed and called out that I just look, when I look at people, I say, you know, people could be doing terrible things, but we don't know what they've gone through. We don't know what strongholds are in their life. We don't know what generational stuff is in their life. But I know that God can heal anyone and change anyone. And so I've just gotten to this place where I'm like, I'm just not gonna judge him. And God, that's in your hands, not, and of course, you can speak to this. There's a difference between not judging people, but also being able to say right is right and wrong is wrong.
1: Yeah, I think there's I think there's this thing where, you know, we have the love scripture that we quote at every, every wedding, every Christian wedding, at least, and it, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love accepts all things. And what that means is it doesn't mean toleration of sin. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean like, oh, you're okay because you do all that, and so we can be, perfectly matched friends or perfectly matched in marriage or whatever what that means is that it says I still value who you are as a person God created you and I still can connect to you I just have different boundaries up because of some of the things you're choosing and a lot of Christians think that those boundaries have to be judgmental and they have to call you know black black and white white in the sense of like issues versus saying you know what everyone knows what their issues are and they might know what I have you know as far as my 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 preferences and the things that I believe, and so I don't need to tell everybody, and I don't need to preach to everybody, and tell you know how police the world or police someone because I have discernment. I need to love well and use my discernment to navigate around areas that will create conflict and also protect the love that I have from spending wrong energy on wrong people, and that's where I think most Christians go. Well, we you know love does judge too. Well, love when you're close to somebody, there's times when you're going to say, hey because you're choosing what you're choosing, we're gonna have a different connection because that's not safe for me. That's different than saying, you're wrong and God's gonna judge you or whatever, you know, it's like, and there's just been this emotional lack of maturity with Christians when it comes to other people's sin, when it comes to people that are not connected to his weaknesses and and God's really course correcting this. Part of the great maturing that I talk about in the book is that God's correcting our ability or a lack of love by giving us the ability to have some emotional intelligence, to have some creative thinking power, to have real wisdom that comes from God, Mm -hmm. which Jesus constantly, I mean, if you look at how he treated everybody, he only really judged the Christians. I mean, sorry, the Jewish people. He really only judged the religious community. I mean, he Mm -hmm. was the nicest to the sinners and he was mean to the religious people because he's like, you guys are closing up heaven and you're closing up for heaven for other people, not just for yourselves. Yeah. And I feel like when you discern something, it gives you power. When you judge something, it takes away your power.
0: That's a good way of saying it. It, yeah, I like. Because if that. I discern
1: something, I can go. Well, I know how to relate to you now. Because mm-hmm. you might not be safe in this area, or I might not trust you in this area. But I can know where I can trust you. I can know how to relate to you. But if I'm like, ooh, this girl, like I, I discern she's, you know, she has a gossip thing. I'm never going to talk to her about anything about my heart. That's judgment. That's not real. That's not. Or that guy's lust on him. I'm never going to be near him. Well, most people in this generation have lust on them. It's just the generation we live in, at least in the Western yeah, world. So true. like you can discern something and that that doesn't get you on the subway. $2, it still takes to get on the subway, but you can discern something and actually say, say God, what do you say about that? Mm-hmm. What's your heart about that? How do you want that information to come into my spirit? And how do you want me to register that information? Because Barnabas knew exactly what Paul was doing, but Barnabas went beyond the natural discernment or even spiritual discernment, and he became a friend to somebody, an ambassador for him for his whole ministry to emerge. And we have to be like Barnabas right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I actually want to speak to it because you have referenced it a few times, the maturing, but tell us about the encounter you had about the oak tree.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple different um, things about oak trees in there. And so I'll refer to the second part, which is, um, you know, Hebrews 12 says we've been given a kingdom that can't be shaken. So whatever is built on him will stand. And, and there's this picture in the Bible over and over about oak trees and oaks of righteousness is what it calls them. Like the pillars of society, mm-hmm. the pillars of community are people who are rooted in their root system is in the love of God and in holiness, purity, righteousness. And so I went on a prophetic journey. Um, I'll tell the, si- the last part of it in the book, just because I think it's interesting, where Sheree and I were really happy in Studio City we had our property we had our, our team would work out of the property in the back and we had a little sound stage and stuff a very very strategic one of a kind property in LA that has a permit for a sound stage on the same residential community and god spoke to us through bob jones many years before who's this prophetic guy spoke to us that there's going to be a time when the unrighteous root system of Hollywood is gonna be broken up and you'll know it's the time to plant in deep because God's gonna give you a natural property. And when he gives you a property and he's gonna give a lot of your community property, you'll know it's time to build in the entertainment industry and in the kingdom. And I was like, this is crazy, this is incredible. Well, we moved to LA and I thought it would happen right away because that was like 2006 Mm -hmm. or 2007 and it didn't happen right away. It didn't happen until five years ago now. So we're at 2022. So five years ago, and, uh, we, we found this property, and we, it was a miracle to get in because there's no way we can get in. The guy was, uh, you know, long story. He, he, but I told him, sir, we need a miracle. Wrote him a letter, and he ended up saying, my grandmother told me God was going to give me a miracle property when I moved to America, and when it was time to get rid of it, I had to give it to somebody who needed a miracle. So he mm-hmm. chose us. Even though we weren't the highest offer, or the best offer, he chose us because of that language. He was totally, I mean, like a drug addict, that kind of thing, not like a nice guy. I should be careful saying that, but it's just true. So, um, But he chose it, and he chose us, and so I really believe it built a legacy for him too. So we built a lot in this, and it really birthed the promises of Sri and I, and caused us to see some things, but I'm like, this isn't the oak tree property. This this isn't the oak tree. Mm-hmm. This is the beginning of it, but this isn't the oak tree. And God was showing us that there's gonna be, oak trees are planted by, um, or oak trees, sorry, let me say it this way. Oak trees flower or fruit 12 times a year. They actually have leaf, green leaves all the time. They're like evergreen. And they're, and they're a fruit tree even though it's acorn, it's, it's considered a fruit um, and so it's it's kind of like a picture of the the river of God and the, the trees that are planted on either side that bear 12 crops of fruit a year that's kind of what they are is that they're these pillars that are planted by God they're hard to uproot in most nations their national tree is oak tree in the Western world which is really cool mm-hmm. so we knew God was going to use this image over and over in our lives but we didn't realize how significant it would become when we decided to move, from Studio City, we found this epic property that we felt like we were supposed to downsize to because we were going from a work-live situation there. And when we got there, we were really praying, God, is this you? And the people said, well, you know, there's 22 protected oaks on this land that in- 22. 22, I know, that's our number. 22 protected oaks on this land, and, and they can't ever be removed, they can't ever be cut down. And it's a really special area. And right down the street from this, there's a tree And this tree is called, the dream of the golden oak tree, is what's called by California State. And it's a national park area. And the first man to discover the gold rush went to this area, this region where I live. And he sat under this tree, and after being there for years from Mexico, trying to find gold, he sat under this tree with his two buddies. They worked like in the ranch in the day, and then they were going prospect on the weekends. And so he's like, I'm gonna give up, this is too hard. I can't find the gold. And he said, God, please help me laid down, took a nap, because it was a hot afternoon, and when he woke up, he said, I just had a dream that the gold's here, that's here, it's like right here, and his friends were really excited, and he pulled out these onions just to eat, because there were some wild onions, and there was gold nuggets attached to them. So, in the state of California, people come from all over, and they go lay under this tree, it's in a public park, and they want to have a gold oak dream, where they, they, they find their gold, they find their dream come true, their dream manifests, a lot of New Agers go, whatever, but Walt Disney also went, and this is a very special story to him. And he actually tried to buy the land it was on and he couldn't of this golden oak. And so he bought land across from it. So they have like 150 acres where they do a lot of the Disney shooting out in this part of L.A. And, and it was really interesting. when We moved into this house and we had the, the golden oak tree down the street. And I knew God was speaking to it. He was saying, I'm giving dreams that will bring the resources for the greater end time army to emerge. And I'm bringing a maturing that's the oaks of righteousness, pillars over social issues, pillars in in business, pillars in politics. People are going to get raised up. Before that happens, I'm going to allow the iniquity to be shaken and stirred up. And so it's going to look really dark before it looks really bright. And so a lot of that's in the book. And it was just... Such a profound moment to know that he's planting you as an oak of righteousness in our our generation. And there's people who need to see you for who you are that will cause them to become who they are. But there's also before that happens, I mean, this is happening, but before that happens in the greater generation, we're seeing the stirring up of iniquity in such a profound way that I never thought I would live through a time when it was this black and white, or it was this this intense in politics, this intense over sexual identity issues, this intense over, you know, social justice issues where there's very, God is the king of social justice. Like Jesus was all about racism. He understood in his generation. And yet there's something perverted that's trying to come in yeah. to this, the way it's being talked about now. And, and there's beautiful things happening and ugly things happening right next to each other. But God is stirring it up so that everything that can be shaken will be because he's about to raise up something that's brand new we've never seen before. And if you think about, last thing I'll say about this, the Jesus people, movement move one more time. If you think like, it went from like 8% nuclear family to 28% nuclear family in 10 years. So it was a huge course correction for family, just mother, oh, wow. father, and kids in a house. Huge for uh, drug addiction and drug drug situations. There was all these programs that emerged. People understood drugs are bad, they are not helpful. People started to go on a different journey than drugs because mm-hmm. of that. And then a lot of stuff happened with the marketplace, a lot of businessmen emerged, a lot of music musical uh, entities emerged, and. And even a lot of the film and television stuff that's happening now in Christianity has roots from all the way back then. So it's really beautiful what God's about to do because if we see how that shaped society and the culture we're living in now, what's gonna happen in the next great move of God?
0: Yeah, that's so, and one of the things that stood out to me when you were talking about that was with like some of these social justice movements is that I think some people have allowed themselves to get discouraged Mm. because some of the bad like you said, something kind of bad trying to sneak in there, but God is all about stuff like that. Absolutely. And so we can't allow someone to take that from us because anything that's social really belongs to the church right anything that's kingdom you know that is the kingdom of god that is the heart of god he created all people and he loves all people and so we can't allow i think a a lot about what this whole episode is landing on is not allowing the devil to take something from us because he's trying to take it but allow us to stand up in our authority and say that no like we're gonna believe we're gonna continue to preach the gospel. We're gonna to continue to love people. We're gonna to continue to stand for what's right. And instead of ducking our tails and hiding, we're gonna let it fuel us. God's love fuel us love to that. believe for the best. And I mean, we I think the one thing through this whole crazy time, the thing that I've, God really impressed upon me was that it's darkest before the dawn. Always. And to believe for revival and to pray for revival. And I think so many people have spoken about revival, but I just believe that there's gonna be another really great move of God. Yeah. And I don't know exactly when or where or how, but I'm just believing for that and just standing strong. But I, what I really love about this podcast is I feel like you've instilled in this episode a lot of hope into people to not give up because I think that's just such a tactic of the enemy to get mm. either offended or discouraged yeah. and kind of just walk away, but to say, when you look at scripture, when so many different times things looked seemingly very hopeless, God's like light would break through. Always, yeah, I mean, I think about the story of Hanukkah, you know, where the temple got destroyed and then they take it back and there's enough oil. I think about Jesus's birth, how God hadn't spoken for all these years and then Jesus is born and, you know, right before, you know, even when he was born, Herod tried to kill all those young boys, but he escaped. And so it's like, even when things seem crazy, yeah. it's like God has a plan of redemption. And that's what we need to tap into. And it's almost like we need to stop listening to all the negativity. And when you really start listening, like you said, to God's voice. And now is the time to be encountering him.
1: It is. An encounter puts options on the table that nothing else does. We may have two options, an encounter brings a third option. An encounter brings what would take 25 years in counseling into yes. one second. And encounter brings what would take 10 years to build in a real trusted relationship in yeah. a moment. And so God wants to bring encounters to, to bring to bring us forward, yeah. to actually make up some time where sin and iniquity has costed us as a culture and as a world. He wants to bridge that gap with Jesus, yeah. encountering his people, encountering us, and then it causes everything to move forward again. And what would happen like if we had another Martin Luther King stand up and say, I have a dream and speak a prophetic word that actually brings a unity and brings us forward from an issue versus people just getting riled up and mad. Yeah, And that's what God's doing is he's raising up people who are encountering him. And I love that you started us out with, we need to spend time with them Yeah, and trust that that time is worth it. And actually like take the time. Uh, it, you and I have both talked to a lot of really empowered people and finances is not their big problem. It's time. Mm-hmm. And so the the biggest time of the poorest and the richest is time. We don't have enough time. And God wants to give us that commodity back as something that's we're empowered over, not that we're slaves to. Yeah. And so if we can just spend the right amount of time with God, man, we're gonna get supercharged.
0: We're gonna get supercharged and it's, we're gonna get strategy for things that would take longer. Yes. And we had done it on our own. God's gonna give us strategy to make things quicker
1: mm-hmm. or
0: easier or smoother. So we have that time, like you said, as a currency. That's really good. Well, Sean, thank you so much. So for glad this to be here. incredible episode. <laughs> so good. Thank you for sharing God's heart for people and that there's hope and that there's so much to be believing for. And I hope you guys have been encouraged to go deeper in your walk with God today by encountering his presence and choosing to obey his voice. And don't forget to pick up his new book, Encounter. Where can people get it?
1: They get at bowlsministries.com, B-O-L-Z, or they can get it from Amazon or Barnes & Nobles, or anywhere else that books are sold.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. And thank you guys for listening today. Hey, thanks for watching. Also, you can follow me on Instagram at RebeccaLambWeiss.